This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunes. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we usually do. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing all right. Uh, I tell you, I think I'd be doing a lot better if I had had one of these Popeye's chicken sandwiches, but we got the last three men on earth that have yet to taste it. Is that is that right, uh, Ben? We got yeah. Ben Brown on from 48 Minutes. Have you not had the sandwich yet? I had not. I'm sitting next here to Tim Daniel. We have not had the Popeye's chicken sandwich yet, but apparently everywhere you go, it's sold out. So you got to go at some odd time and try to get one. Yeah, and it's got to do a lot. I think we were talking a little bit before, but it's got to do a lot to beat this Chick-fil-A, right? Oh, man. Yeah, it's got to do. I mean, Chick Fil A is the the king of the chicken sandwich. I mean, you you would have to be just. I mean, it's got to be like my mama's fried chicken, you know, <laughs> for it to be something for me to be able to go and say you're better than Chick Fil A. But we'll we'll see. I, I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna have. I give you a call back. I'm definitely gonna try to get one tomorrow and see what they're talking about. Yeah, it's got to do a whole lot. Especially, I'm kind of worried about the Polynesian sauce not being there because I'm, I'm a I'm a Polynesian. I get the spicy. Mm-hmm. And I add the Polynesian sauce. That's my thing. But hey, they already they already open on Sundays, which is a plus. Uh-huh. A, apparently, they are not quite as hateful towards certain groups of people. That's also a plus, <laughs> right? But, but moving on from the the chicken talk, that'll be a side project. That yeah, a spinoff, a whole podcast. another episode. Yeah, that'll be the Patreon. <laughs> uh, today we're gonna talk about. The Indiana Pacers. We're on to another team preview. We got Ben Brown here, uh, here to tell us about his team. And and basically, we just want to start out by asking a little bit about last season. So it was a tough year with Victor Oladipo uh, going down with an injury. And he really didn't play that much, especially through uh, when the season really started to matter. But the the Pacers were resilient anyway, and they played very well. They you know came out with a forty eight win season, but what were some of your biggest takeaways from that year? Um, some of my biggest takeaways um, were uh, the emergence of Miles Turner as a defensive stopper. Um, he wound up being uh, leading the league in blocks, which was huge. Um, Pacers fans have been waiting for him to have a big season, kind of a breakout season, and he did that. Um, Domitas Sabonis also played well. Um, I think him playing as well as he did as the four and Turner as the five and them two kind of subbing in for each other and getting to play with one another, um, I think that was kind of the biggest takeaway. Um, we got another year of growth for Aaron Holiday. 
which will be good. Um, and, you know, we lost some key guys, of course, to the offseason. But um, my biggest takeaway from that is that I think that we will have the opportunity to grow with the, that core there that's there. And once we get Oladipo back, be all right. So uh, I'm really excited about what, they're, what they've got going on uh, going into this year for sure. Yeah, and you got the same core guys, but really the rest of the roster, there was a lot of changes. You had six free agents, didn't bring back any of them, and you lost Tyreek Evans. I think one of the interesting things to start with is these two crazy situations in Tyreek Evans and Darren Collison. Nobody saw Collison coming, and obviously you can't predict a suspension. Uh, what were your initial reaction to those two things? Um, I wasn't surprised with Tyreek Evans. Um, I, I, I mean, I was because of, of course, the suspension, but just his, I guess, uh, the way he kind of was up and down playing and, you know, I didn't think he was a guy that they were going to bring back anyway. So when he got suspended, it wasn't really like, oh man, the one that really hurt me was Darren Collison. Cause I mean, he was just a solid leader in the locker room. He was a guy that was, you know, kind of, um, took that, that, well, the first group once Old Deepa got hurt, but then the second group. Uh, when Oladipo was there, he kind of took that group under his wing and they played really well uh, when he was on the floor. So that one kind of hurt more than the Tyreek Evans one. I would really like to have Collison back this year. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can't do anything about, you know, retirements. And I understand, you know, he wants to spend time with his family. Everybody would understand that. So, but, um, but I would really like to have, would like to have Collison back. But um, I'm, I'm really happy with the guys we got. Yeah, it's interesting. Both of those guys are former Kings. Uh, Tyreek, I think, still, there's a lot of love for him in Sacramento. He did have, you know, maybe his best year of his career, probably definitely his best year of his career as a rookie, but uh, hasn't been able to figure out uh, figure it out. But I, I, I was wondering, so I, with this suspension for him, I know that it has been reported as uh, drug-related, and I actually had no idea. Is it? Do you? Are you aware if it's uh, if it's like narcotic related or if it's PED related? Or does anyone have a handle on that? My understanding is narcotic related. Um, so that that was what I heard. That was the reports I heard that it was narcotic related. Um, maybe I, I don't want to speculate, but um, I mean that's all I've heard is it was narcotics. I don't want to speculate what narcotics, but. Um, that's what I heard. I mean, in Pacer circles, that will be heard. So, yeah, that is really too bad uh, to see a guy come from such a great place in his first year. I, I really hope that he figures out whatever he needs to figure out. But uh, moving on to to some other guys here, um, I want to talk about Oladipo a little bit more because he really had his breakout year in the previous season to last year. But uh, you know, the injury. It was a really big deal, and it's significant to the point where I've heard people talk about it as if Oladipo will never uh, get back to the same heights that he once was. Now, it's not – I don't think that it's something – it's certainly nothing like a uh, career-ending injury or anything like that, but the the talk is that he's going to lose some explosiveness. Is that a concern that you have at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, Whenever you have somebody who, you know, their game is – designed around explosion um they had that kind of injury i mean that's that's got to be something that you got to worry about it's almost um you know with like the achilles i mean when anybody tears an achilles or you tear a tendon or any kind of like that like 
you always got to worry in the back of your mind, you know, is that going to affect him for the rest of his career? Um, the good thing about Oladipo is that he's such a hard worker, man. He grinds so hard. Um, you know, as soon as he, you know, was out of surgery, he was doing rehab and, and, you know, he moved down, down south to Miami and was working with his guys and trying to get together uh, a plan for him to get back for this coming season. Now, I don't think he'll be back um, until maybe probably after Christmas. Um, but, you know, I think that that's the biggest concern is that will he be the same player? Will he be the same person that's was, you know, when he left and when he got injured? Um, will he be that guy that can get to the rim? Um, can defend, can do all the things that he was doing before the injury. Um, you hope that he is because he's such a cool guy and he's such a, you know, for him to come in and off that trade and really become a leader uh, of the Pacers um, and the face of the Pacers, you really hope that he's able to come back and be that guy that he was, the all-star. Um, you know, he's in the slam dunk contest. You know, he, he was all around, I mean, he was an all-around great athlete and you hope that on that terms, that he can come back and be that kind of player. Yeah, and when Debo went down, you really saw uh, Bojan Bogdanovic come into his own and carry a big amount at the offensive load. Got a big bag going to Utah, and the replacement wing that you have coming in for him is TJ Warren. And we've talked about him before uh, being a really interesting case of his offense has definitely improved and it was crazy that you got him and a pick just to take him in a cap space from Phoenix. So that way they could give money to Ricky Rubio. Um, do you feel, do you feel like TJ Warren's improved shooting is here to stay or are you probably not confident in saying that? What are you feeling like, uh, moving on from Bogdanovich to Warren's going to be like? Um, I, I think that. Anytime you get a guy like TJ Warren, um, you know, coming from Phoenix from a team where a team that he didn't have a whole, or the team as a whole didn't have a whole lot of success, um, you know, you have to worry about sometimes is that his success there going to translate over to a team where they're going to be fighting for the playoffs, playoff contention, playoff position. Um, you have to have to have a little eye on that because you know from going from one uh, one spectrum to the other. Is that going to translate over? I think it will. Um, I think that you've seen him increase his scoring year by year. I mean, he's become better and better every year. So I, I think that that will um, only get better. Also, too, he's going to be around better players. I mean, um, you know, you got Malcolm Brogdon, you brought in Justin Holiday, uh, Jeremy Lamb, who I think was a sneaky pickup for us. Um, we brought in some different guys there that I think that being around a better team and a better atmosphere may also help with him becoming, a, you know, being a, that consistent player um, that he was, showed in Phoenix. So uh, I'm really excited about what he can do and, and the opportunity he's going to have, especially uh, playing that three position for us this this uh, this coming season. Yeah, uh, actually a, a frequent guest on the show, uh, Tim Maxwell, the Sacktown Baby Giraffe on Twitter and a fellow writer at Sacktown Royalty, uh, he is TJ Warren is his guy. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because he lives out in Phoenix, so we got to see him a little bit. But more than anyone, he was desperate for TJ Warren to come to the Kings over Barnes, over Otto Porter. Back when those trades were happening, uh, for whatever reason, he he wants TJ Warren, and he believes in that 
three-point percentage, and it is one of those crazy things where the first 200 attempts of his career were, you know, terrible, were sub-30%, and the last 200 have been about 40%. It's going to be hard to to know what exactly is going to come out of that, but he's an interesting representation of the Pacers to me because he's one of these guys who is uh, a $10 million a year player, like right, like just a mid-range type of player where I think a lot of teams, you know, end up nowadays sort of top-heavy and, and then they lack that depth because they're going for max guys. Maybe they, you know, just want to get our, our big three in there and then, you know, we'll, we'll deal with the bench later. But Indiana really feels like a team that, is structured around depth and is structured around guys that are going to be, if not bargains, they're going to be manageable contracts. Is that, do you think that's part of the mentality with the Pacers? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, they did a great job and continue to do a great job of getting guys. They, they're never going to get maximum guys. Now with Oladipo, um, I mean, he had shown some of those signs of being a good player, um, with the Thunder, but I don't think anybody could have predicted the uh, the amount of success he would have with Indiana and becoming the star that he was. But we do a great job with just managing contracts, even like Miles Turner's on a friendly contract. Like you said, Warren's on a friendly contract. Jeremy Lamb, who's 27, he's making $10 million a year. We brought in Doug McDermott, who's 27, and he's only making $7 million a year. Justin Holliday who's 30, but he's only making 4.6. So, you know, we also got team friendlies with uh, Sabonis, who's making 3.5. I mean, I mean, we've, we've got some team friendly deals. I think our, our front office does a great job of, of managing those, um, getting guys in that, that aren't going to be your, your top 10 pay range guys, but be a top, you know, 25 to 30, 35 to 40, they're good players. They're mid-range players, um, and they do a good job of bringing those guys in and fitting to, you know, they're also pacer guys, you know, guys that are going to be able to play um, multiple positions, guys that are going to be rangy, guys that can play defense, guys that will be able to shoot. Um, they do a good job of, of finding guys that fit that niche for the salary that they need to pay. So, yeah, I think that the pacers have always kind of been that way. Yeah, and I know, kind of speaking to this identity a little bit, I know Kevin Pritchard, I believe that's that's the name of the GM, right? I got that mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Um, was saying in the postseason conference that you guys needed some creators, people that could create looks for themselves. And you definitely added that, but you lost great defenders. And this team last year was, that felt like the identity. It was one of, it was an elite defensive team. Uh, yes. The best opponent points per game caused a lot of turnovers bottom field goal percentage for opponents and offensively you were efficient there was a good three point percentage and field goal percentage both top five but you're towards bottom in pace and attempts how do you feel like that is changing this year with the new roster um i mean mentioning some of the guys that left that were good defenders uh we took Corey joseph from you thaddeus young goes to chicago he's a great defender i think wesley matthews is a good defender but you got other guys that are good in that same right. Do you think that the identity of being a really shut down defensive team is still going to be here? Um, I, I think, I think with everything that you get, as far as um, with the shooting percentages and offensive pace, 
Um, you're going to have some some trades in this. So I don't think we'll be as good defensively, uh, but I think offense, offensively I think we'll be better. Our pace will be better. I think our points per game average will be better, especially when we get Oladipo back. So there's going to be some trade-offs there. But we still have Miles Turner that anchors our defense. I mean, you know, he he's a great defender. Um, but there will definitely be some trade-offs. Uh, I think that uh, Nate McMillan – uh, is a defensive-minded coach, so I think some of those guys will will be able to fit into the scheme of Nate McMillan and how he plays defense and how he wants to play defense. Um, I don't think we'll be as defensive-minded, uh, but I think that we'll have more offensive ability to be able to score the basketball and be able to 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 play with more pace and more rhythm on that end. But I definitely think we took a hit as far as losing like your Thad Youngs, your Corey Josephs. Um, defensively, we definitely took a hit, but I also think that we're going to be better as far as offensive scoring and pace um, and being able to uh, put the ball in the basket for sure. Yeah, it is a lot of turnover, and I will say some of the some of the moves in the offseason just confused me a little bit, maybe just the willingness to let guys go. Uh, you know, Bogdanovich obviously was – he felt like an all-star level player, uh, but but like you mentioned, Turner having this big breakout year, he he felt like a, a all defensive team snub to me. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how great he was. Uh, that's how unbelievable of a, a rim protector he can be. But I want to try to get a grip on what's going on with the center position because you you talked about the defense and offensive trade off. You've kind of got that there between Turner and Sabonis, and yeah, Turner can shoot it as well, so he's got some offense as well. So bonus, uh, maybe you can tell me a little bit more about his defense. I don't have a great handle on it. He doesn't seem like he's quite all the way there yet. But then the real confusing aspect with the centers was going after Goga Bitsazde, uh, or uh, excuse me on the pronunciation. <laughs> that one, that's a t- t- tough one for me. But going after a center when it feels like maybe the center was the, the position that you guys had most locked down at the time, what's, uh, what's the thought process here? Um, I think that what we're thinking is I think that we're going to play Sabonis more at the four. Um, and then Batatse will come in and, and be the backup for Miles Turner at the five. Um, you know, coming from over in Europe, uh, I think he's got a lot of those skills. He's got a lot of some of the rim protection skills that Sabonis doesn't have. Um, so I think that was more of the fit there is that they thought that Batatse would be more of a backup for um, for Turner more than it would be Sabonis. Um, you're absolutely right about that. Sabonis is definitely not one of your defensive stoppers. Um, he struggles on the defensive end of the floor. Um, so when you need somebody in there, when Turner steps out, um, I think Batazzi could be that guy. Um, I think that's why they, they they picked him up. They knew that Sabonis kind of is a defensive liability. I mean, you saw that when Turner stepped off the floor um, and uh, Sabonis was playing the five, that they really struggled um, stopping the balls in the paint and, and his rotations were slow. Um, so um, I think that the pickup of Batati will really help with the backup of Miles Turner with a defensive-minded guy um, that can rim protect and he's big and can and do other things. So that's kind of, I think, their thought process. Um, I think also they're hoping that uh, TJ Leaf, another guy that's on their bench, will kind of come along a little bit. This will be his fourth year, so they're hoping that maybe he'll come along. He's another big man 
uh, that can give you some of, uh, of that stretch four capability as well. So um, I'm thinking that they're going to try to get a little rotation there with those guys. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about that, but that's kind of with the feel that I got. And from what I saw, kind of just reading into analysts and the trusted guys on NBA draft Twitter, it felt like Bitadze, there we go, um, <laughs> was a, a lot of people had him around like 10th overall. It felt like once he fell to that point, it was like, you know, you have to pick this player that he was the yeah. fact that he was still available. Cause I don't think the fits great. Um, like you just kind of went over, but he did seem to be a, uh, more highly coveted player and uh, prospect coming out. Do you think that possibly Batatse, but more so Sabonis and Turner are going to be in some trade conversations this year? Um, I think it's a possibility. Um, I, I know that and uh, in, in most of the talks that I've heard that they, they like that group together, but I mean, it's the NBA, man. You never know. If, if somebody, you know, if one of those guys is struggling, if, if, you know, if the Indiana Pacers get off to a slow start or, you know, you can, you never can tell with that. Um, I would never say never, but it's, it's definitely always a possibility for sure. Yeah. And so let's, let's move to Malcolm Brogdon, who, uh, this may be the headliner for, for all the additions there in Indiana. It's a tough price tag, though. Four years, $85 million, and a first-round pick in that sign-and-trade, as well as a couple of seconds. It's just tough because Brogdon also is a guy who's had some injury history and I know was red-flagged all the way back in the draft with some foot issues. Do you feel like this was too much to pay for Brogdon? Um, I do and I don't. Um, we needed a guy that could come in and and kind of kind of run the team while Oladipo is getting back, and then be a complimentary player to open Oladipo when he is back. Um, it was a hefty price tag. Um, it, it's I think that he's a guy that that fits what we do, um, and he and he can do what we need him to do. Um, but I do agree with you there, Richard. I, I think it was a, it was a pretty hefty hefty price tag to get him. But he also is a guy that I think will fit what what we needed for the time being. Um, and then when you look when you look at out there at the free agents and the and the market that was there when we were looking for guys to fill that spot, um, he's probably the best of the bunch. Um, if, if you have a wish list of guys that were out there when you were looking at there, looking at at that point in stage after kind of the big free agency smoke had cleared. Um, he's kind of one of those guys that was there sitting there that we could make a move and get and, and fit our style and fit what we do. So um, I do feel that way as far as price tag wise, but also I feel like he's going to fit what we do. Yeah. And I, I feel like my issue with it was that I don't know if Milwaukee would have matched a 21 million annually there. I, I mean, they got to worry about paying Giannis next year. They got Middleton. They just gave Bledsoe that contract. They were bringing back Brooke Lopez. So that's kind of where it was a little bit of a question mark to me. But I do like the addition and what you got to the team. And you got other deals. Like the team does look really nice. You're not screwed because of this contract in any sort of way. But with Brogdon having a bigger role now and really being one of the main guys with Depot out compared to just a complimentary player to Giannis in Milwaukee, 
What changes are you expecting from him? I mean, he was popularly a 50-40-90 guy. I would assume efficiencies go down, but where do you see his game going to another level? Um, I think that, I mean, he he was a guy that was complimentary there, but I think that once you, I guess, kind of change the perspective of what he's going to need to do, um, I think that he will, um, I think he'll be a very effective scorer. Um, I think that he'll be able to, um, be effective off the ball, be able to create something that we were looking for. Um, when you have a guy like Giannis and you have a Middleton, you don't really have to do those type of things. Um, with him being kind of put into that kind of aspect of having to do those things, I think he'll be able to do that more. Um, when you have two all stars on your team, you kind of got to, you know, you don't take a back seat, but you don't, you're not needed to do those things as much as you would. Um, on a team like he's on now. So he's going to need to be able to score the basketball. He's going to need to be able to facilitate and do other things. So I think that um, in that aspect, I think that he'll do a great job as far as facilitating, um, be able to score. Um, he can, you know, he can do a lot. He's a great shooter. Um, he's a pretty decent defender. So I, I think that he'll be able to do a lot of those things um, while Oladipo is out, um, to be able to help them get get W's. And I think while it it was a pretty big price tag, uh, I, I for some reason I think the Bucks should have paid it just because they are on at that point where you need every last piece you can. They're mm-hmm. not going to be able to add anything. You know, they're not going to be able to go out and sign anybody other than their exceptions going forward. If he becomes the difference between them winning a title and not, that's $85 million that they absolutely should have spent. Yeah. And, and perhaps that's what makes it worth it for the Pacers, being there in the East. It's certainly not hard to imagine the Pacers ending up in the 4 or 5 seed and, and facing the Bucks in the second round as the 1 seed. And you know that could be enormous and maybe worth that, that money all by itself. But uh, let's move on to Jeremy Lamb, who... We agree. You mentioned it earlier. I know Brennan and I both agree that this was uh, not only a, a huge steal at three years, thirty-one and a half million for Lamb, but also that it's one of the most confusing signings, or, or the confusing signings as far as why did Charlotte let this guy go? Like we get it with Kemba, <laughs> right? right? I have no idea. Kemba, it was one hundred and sixty yeah. million was their offer for Kemba. I think something, or they didn't get get quite there. They could have given him a ton of money, but thirty million—that's your second best player. Keep that guy, right? Yeah, I, I I couldn't understand that. Like, like he is by far your second best player. You know, you probably can't keep Kemba, but then you let Jeremy Lamb walk for thirty million. Like, I yeah, I could not understand it. I was very happy. I'm not gonna lie to you. I was very happy that we were able to. To sign him, but yeah, I, I could not understand why Charlotte wouldn't sign him. I mean, Charlotte, I mean, they've made some pretty questionable. I mean, let's be it's honest. It's because Terry Rozier needed that money. Right. That's Terry, <laughs> oh that's Terry Rozier dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I do not understand why they would not sign him, but I, I'm very happy. Thank you, Charlotte people, for not signing him. Um, uh, I, to me, like, it was a no brainer. Uh, as far as seeing a guy who had made strides, um, you know, playing the right hand man of Kimball Walker. I mean, he was their, he was their second leading scorer. I mean, at 15, he shot 44% from the field, 35% from three point range. And you don't want to pay him 30 million, but, um, the Pacer fans are very happy to have him. 
Uh, I know I'm happy to have him because he, he gives us more depth uh, and more scoring, um, more efficient scoring. So, um, I, I, I could not understand why Charlotte wouldn't sign him. Yeah, it, I've given up on trying to understand Charlotte uh, at this point. And, uh, yeah, it, you guys got a great guy there. I think he's underrated defensively and just overall as a player. I don't think he's a great defender, but I think he can def- he can hold his own. He's not bad. Like it seems that people have this impression of. Um, like you mentioned, the offense is good. It's just improving. I think him actually having a stage now of. I guess they were making the playoffs in Charlotte, but it was a first round exit every time. Indiana mm-hmm. feels like they're actually competitive um, right. compared to this seven, eight seed in the East. Usually um, the other guy that interests me, another young guy. And we say that, but Rich and I were talking before, and I think everyone on this team is under, what is it? 27 years old, which is just insane. Yeah. I mean, um, they've got some young dudes. Yeah. I, I think McDermott's the oldest player on this team with the real contract right now. He's 27. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And one of the crazy young guys is the youngest brother, Aaron Holiday, who showed some real good defense in the playoffs and throughout the season, got a little bit more opportunity. But with your point guards leaving, it looks like he's going to be the backup two here. Are you confident or the backup one? Excuse me. Are you confident in his ability to do that? Yeah, I am, man. He's uh, he did a lot of growing up. I mean, because he was kind of forced to play a little bit more than I probably think that they wanted to play. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very confident in what he can do. Um, I, I think he just needs an opportunity. I, and plus too, what's underrated about it is I think with Justin being there with him will help him grow immensely. Um, I think that, that his brother being there will help him do, um, help him grow and, and see the floor and be a better player. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely think that he'll do a great job as being that backup point guard, um, and, and being able to run that second unit. Um, he, he showed glimpses of it last year. Um, he showed glimpses of it in the playoffs. Um, and defensively, he's, he is a, a great defensive point guard. So, um, yeah, I think he'll do a great job. I think he'll do a great job at, at being that second guy running that second group. How about the other uh, additions to this team? The the more we're getting deeper into the rotation here, but um, looking at TJ McConnell and looking at guys like uh, Justin Holiday, uh, yeah, and even you got Jakar Sampson, who was a guy from uh, Sacramento a couple of years ago, who we actually got really into. He was one of the best two way players to come through Sacramento for a little while, and he had a nice little showing in Chicago as well. But looking down further into this roster, are there any sort of hidden gems down here? You think, man? I'm honestly, I, we were we were talking earlier. Um, I I really hope that TJ Leaf has a good year um, as that backup power forward. Um, he's a guy uh, that, well, like we've had for, I think he's been on our roster for three years. It's kind of his time to show that he can be a true number two guy, uh, and I'm hoping it's this year. Um, another one is my buddy Tim Daniel. His his guy uh, Edmund Sumner. Um, Sumner is a guy that he's he's had had to battle some injuries, uh, but shows flashes of brilliance, man. I, I, and he can do some things on the floor that that are are kind of spectacular. So um, he's another one that I'm kind of excited to see uh, get some get some playing time. So um, there's a few of them. T.J. McConnell. I think T.J. McConnell. Um, will will be a great 
great backup for us as far as shooting ability and being able to do some things uh, in some clutch situations. So there's a few guys on there that uh, that I'm excited about. Uh, I'm excited about our roster and, and who we've been able to pick up, and um, it, it's it should be a, a good season. Hopefully, that uh, once we get all the depot back as well, uh, I'm really excited about the guys we have on our roster. Yeah, I totally dropped the ball on forgetting T.J. McConnell. It, who do you feel like is the backup one between him and Holiday? Um, I I, I think it's Holiday. I do think Holiday will probably be the backup one. Uh, but I think T.J. McConnell is, is is a situational guy, um, a guy when you you know when you need three point shooting or you need somebody to come in and and um, and and do some more. I guess kind of not really just shooting and all the other stuff, but off the ball stuff as well. So um, I like T.J. McConnell, but I do think Aaron Holiday is kind of that second guy. See, I think you guys got to get a trade package for Drew. And uh, just get all the brothers together. <laughs> get all the holiday brothers together. I know I, that would be awesome. Have a holiday party. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that uh, how's the name of my uh, one of my fantasy teams from last year? It was just like Happy Holidays. So I, I happened to have uh, <laughs> did you uh, have Ju- Justin? I don't I don't think uh, Aaron was owned in that league, but Justin and Drew were on there. But uh, uh, moving on. Uh, so uh, we also like to identify, we ask every guest, you know, who we think is going to be taking, who they think is the young guy going to take the biggest step forward. And I think you've probably established that with Holiday and Leaf as your guys. Uh, but we also like to ask who's going to be taking a step back. And in our notes when preparing for this podcast, we always put who we think are the the easiest choices, who we would probably uh, throw out there as examples. But both Brennan and I were completely stumped. And like, like he mentioned, no one's older than 27 on this team. There was, we had some discussion about, you know, maybe Brogdon having to take on more of a workload is going to affect his efficiency. You know, I guess you could say Oladipo, although he already had the injury. So I I don't know that this season's going to be any tougher for him in regards to that. Uh, I don't know. You know, this is the first time we never had anybody down here. So, yeah, we were basically just stumped here. If But if you had to choose a guy who's going to fall off next season, even if it's just a little bit, who is your guy? Um, To me, it would probably be TJ Warren. And only because being in Phoenix, he's not played in any meaningful games. You know, by the time you get to uh, – Thanksgiving, like they're done. Like it's, you know, they they don't plan any meaningful games in Phoenix. So um, I think the grind of being on a team that is in playoff contention every night, um, a team that you know is is there in the hunt, um, it may grind on him a little bit more because he hasn't been a part of that. Um, but he is probably the only one. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. 
Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse. And we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it. And and thank you very much for listening. Another thing we like to get into is the strengths, strengths and weaknesses of the team. And we mentioned last year it was defense and how, mm-hmm. why we think that'll take a step down a little bit. It feels like this team is really well, well rounded. Do you feel like there's any certain area of the game where they're going to be, you know, top five, top 10 level in? Um, I, I think they're a well rounded team, man. I, I, like we talked about before. I do think that they'll step, take a step back defensively, losing some of those defensive cogs. Um, but I think that uh, I think that they'll shoot the ball better. I think their pace will be better. Um, I think they will be. Um, hopefully, they'll be in the top top ranges of uh, three point percentage and field goals um, and field goal percentage. I think that. I think their pace will be better, um, but like we talked about before, I do think defensively, I think they're going to struggle, especially losing, uh, like I said, losing Thad Young, um, losing losing Bogdanovich, guys that are kind of defensive-minded people. So um, I think that's where they'll lose lose a step there. But like I said, Miles Turner, you know, Miles Turner will be in the talks of Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, hopefully, you know, like we talked about earlier, he got snubbed last year being off the all defensive team. Um, I don't think Sabonis will be a great defender, but I think the other guys around him will be better defenders, but not as good as the team last year. So we want to get to some win projections from you, get it, get your impression of the over-under. But before that, we'd like to ask about who you think will be starting on opening night to help us get a picture of what that's going to look like and maybe the first couple guys off the bench as well. And it's really tough with Indiana because, uh, you know, their leaders in, in games started last year. Boyan's gone. Thad is gone. Collison's gone. Those are your three guys that started the most games last year. And then Oladipo won't be starting at the beginning of the year. And neither will Wes Matthews. Miles Turner is the only guy on this team, I believe, that started more than uh, – yeah, and Tyreek's gone too. So that's mm-hmm. six of your top seven guys that are not going to be there. Uh, starting and and Corey Joseph, geez, the list just keeps yeah, going down. So it's, it's a long list. <laughs> so that's crazy. That's truly crazy. So Miles Turner is the only guy who started more than five games last year. Wow! Yep. For the Pacers, who yep. who is projected to be healthy and good to go on the roster for next year. So help us sort this lineup out. Um, I honestly, I think you, uh, your you know your guards will be Brogdon um, and Lamb. Uh, your your small forward will be worn, and then I think they're going to go double bigs with Sabonis and Miles Turner. Uh, your first couple guys off the bench will be, I believe, Aaron Holiday. Um, I think that uh, Batazzi will get some minutes off the bench. Um, I think McDermott will get some minutes off the bench. 
Uh, and I'm hoping TJ Leaf will give us a spark uh, being that extra big man off the bench. So, um, you know, until Oladipo gets back, I think that that second unit may struggle a little bit in scoring. Um, but um, in that way, because when Oladipo gets back, you can move Lamb back down to that two guard or the, the second unit shooting guard to give you a little bit more options of scoring. So um, I think that'll be your starting five with your first couple guys off the bench right there. So. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I like to try and guess before I had that down. I think the Sabonis, Turner, Brogdon are pretty much locks. And then yeah. after that, like you mentioned, uh, Lamb and Warren, the best two. And you think there's a chance that Lamb could play his way into staying in that lineup when uh, when Depot comes back? Or does that feel a little too small if you're placing him with Warren? Um, I, th- I think he has a chance to play his way into the lineup. I, I don't think that, you know, when you rupture a tendon, I mean, it's hard to come back. You know, he's going to come back. You know, Oladipo's going to come back, but he, he's not going to be able to go. He's not going to be able to give you everything he has when he first comes back. So you're going to have a lot of, you know, he's going to be off a lot of nights, you know, a lot of uh, load management. Um, he's going to come back slow. So um, I think when he does come back, I think that there's a possibility for Lamb to stay in the lineup if he plays well. Uh, but I don't think that they're going to play Oladipo big minutes I mean, until you start to get closer to playoff time. So, um, I would, it would not shock me if Oladipo, you know, Oladipo is going to start, but it wouldn't shock me, you know, if he takes off, if he comes back with 40 games left, if he takes 10 of those off and then, you know, he's only plays 30 games into the final. So, um, I think those guys, you know, Lamb and Warren are going to have to play a big time role, especially with Oladipo working his way back into the lineup. So we're going to hit you with that over-under. It is uh, 48 wins. And that's that's the same number that the Pacers won last year. And the way that that strikes me is is kind of like there was so much change that happened. And the Pacers have been a very hard team to predict in recent years anyway. They've been outperforming themselves. When I saw that 48 wins, I felt like it was kind of, kind of like they're just like, well, what did they win last year? All right. Right. <laughs> Let's just let's just say that I'm sure there is far more that goes into it, uh, you know. And, and by the way, people always mention when we ask about these over unders, people say, you know, I, I wouldn't really advocate betting. We're not really trying to suggest that anyone bet. And of right, course, if, if you got a, if you have a problem, you feel you're betting too much, you know, that's you know, you should seek out Get seek out seek help. help. <laughs> like that's not it. We're yeah. not telling you this in order to try to encourage betting. We're simply <laughs> It's a, it's a predictive thing. We want to figure out if you feel that the team's being, uh, you know, adequately, uh, if they're being overestimated, if they're being underestimated, all that. So I don't know why I had to go into all that just now. But it's all right. Uh, you don't want anybody but, to get, develop a gambling problem because you're putting over unders on yeah. your podcast. Yeah, and I, th- <laughs> I, I think my point is that that even though it looks like oh well, it's just the same number as last year. There's a whole lot that goes into that, and I would never bet against really those Vegas aces, like the way that they they make those lines makers. They're way smarter and way way more inside information than any of us. So I'll say there's probably a lot of reason behind this 48. But what do you think about it? Does it feel high or low to you? Um, it feels a little high to me. I would I would say. I mean, not way off, but I would say like anywhere. I would say anywhere from forty-five to forty-eight. But I, forty-eight seems high. I would say closer to forty-five. Um, 
you know, you got a, almost a brand new group trying to come together um, without your star who's going to be hurt until at least Christmas, probably, if not longer. Um, I, I think 48 is high, especially I think the East has gotten so much better. Um, yeah, I, I think 40, I would say four, I would feel comfortable at like 45, maybe even 44. I think aside from Kawhi, uh, Kawhi leaving, I get what you're saying with the East there and the top two teams that I feel pretty confident I can say are going to be the one, two are mm-hmm. the Bucks and the Sixers. And then after that, there's these group of four playoff teams. And I'm wondering where you feel you rank amongst them. It's the Celtics, the Pacers, the Nets and the Raptors. Do you feel like, I mean, really, I feel like any of these teams could finish anywhere three to six. But where yeah. do you feel like you stack up next to him? Um, I, I I think we'll probably fifth. Um, I I don't think we're I still don't think we're as good um, as the Raptors. Um, the the Nets I think are going to be really good. Um, I I don't know. I think we're probably within that five six range for sure. I think we can compete with Boston. Um, I, I just don't like Boston's chemistry. I don't know why, but I just don't feel like they have great chemistry, even though, you know, you have Brown and Tatum, you have two young studs there. Um, I, I just, I don't know. They're, to me, they've always kind of been lackluster. You know, outside of the year that Kyrie got injured and those guys played together, uh, maybe Kyrie was the issue. I mean, that's why they probably, you know, he walked. But um, I think we're all kind of sitting there. The Raptors, of course, took a huge hit. You know, they're not going to be the same. I think we'll, I think we'll may finish better than the Raptors because I don't think, I think Kawhi did so much for them. Um, there's, I don't think there's any way that they can finish above what they did last year. Huh. Well, you're talking to a uh, Celtics <laughs> fan on the other line here. <laughs> you know, interestingly, it kind of reminds me this roster of like the Isaiah Thomas Celtics in a way where there is a star, but he doesn't feel on that quite superstar level. And but he's just really small. Sure. That's sure. <laughs> the joke here. <laughs> Wait, I, I'm totally lost here. Are you talking about the Celtics? The Kemba? The, the, no, the Kemba, no, no, no. The I'm talking about how the Pacers guard. remind me of that team. Oh, okay. I'm saying the, that Depot is the star, and then there's so many good role players around. Like Celtics was like, you know, Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, even like Jonas Jerebko had a role where it feels like this Indiana team could do that, but you only can get so far without a real superstar. So yeah. what are your expectations come playoffs next year? Does it feel like once you run into a Milwaukee Philly, there's not really a way that you're going to see a positive outcome? Yeah, I think it's really hard. I, I just think it's really hard if you don't have a group of stars to make headway in the playoffs. I mean, every team that you've seen either, you know, make a run or get to the finals, they've had at least two, two big stars. I mean, I know people kind of say that Lowry kind of played off, but then you had Van Fleet step up. You had, of course, Kawhi be Kawhi. Then you had the emergence of Siakam. So, I mean, those guys are have become stars. And I don't see us having major stars. We have one star, and that one star is only going to play half the season. So, I, I, I mean, it would, it would be 
I think you're almost, we're almost planning for two years out, not next year. So when Oladipo has a full year of being healthy, yeah. um, then we can make our run. But this year kind of feels like, you know, we'll be okay. We'll, we're going to get these guys a year of playing with one another. And then next year when we have our star, when he's completely healthy, then we can make our run. But it kind of feels like to me this team will they'll, they'll finish with 45 wins and probably get knocked out first round. Yeah, okay, I hate so, to say that, but you know it makes sense. It's realistic. And right. real quick, a hypothetical I've liked for Boston has been this Jalen. And you guys got some wings now on the team, so it's a little weird. But a Jalen Brown Sabonis swap. I, I feel like both these guys fit better in their new situations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah, I would love that. I would love that. Um, I think that Jalen Brown would fit. Yeah, I think that would fit perfect. I like that. Let's make that happen. Let's do it. I'll call up Danny. <laughs> Let's call him up. <laughs> I like that a lot for yeah. the Pacers. I'm not sure I love it for Boston because you're, I mean, you're going, obviously this isn't a real trade, but if you're going from Horford, uh, that, that sort of, that sort of defensive presence in the middle to Sabonis, that's, that's a tough, I don't know that he's got the rim protection to play center and I don't really see him as a power forward at, I know that that's the plan, but yeah. I just I don't think that's where he's best going to be utilized. And honestly, it might be crazy to say, but it's I think the potential might be that he could be best in that sort of six man off the bench, crazy scorer, crazy energy, that type of big, rather than uh, you know all day starting closing five, that type of guy. But but we'll see. Would you, I mean, is that crazy? Simi- well, the similarity I see with Horford that I really like is the passing. I, I think that Sabonis is probably a better passer, but Horford was real good in that regard. I think that Horford or Stevens ran a lot of sets in that regard. But you have a really good point with the defense. I mean, I definitely originally was thinking Miles Turner, but then I'm like, there's no way Indiana's doing that, right? No, not a chance. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Right. Yeah, that Turner contract is so valuable oh, right yeah. now. Yes, Four is. years locked in at basically half the max for a guy yeah. that is, yeah, I mean, like you said, a real defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, and man, if he just, if they let him, if they really let him go on threes, he's going to be a terror, honestly. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's yeah. going to be like, yeah, he's going to be like Brooke Lopez, but also like Rudy Gobert on defense. Like he's he's really truly got that level of potential and he's still so young. Yeah. It's uh it's terrifying. But yeah, uh that's yeah, for sure. And I and I wanted to go you had you know, you had said that maybe they're more focused on a couple of years from now. And I think that that makes sense as well. I that's where I wanted to go with this last question. We generally ask about projecting out uh a few more years, maybe even you know, three or four years down the line, what's the outlook of this team? But it does seem like they are set up well. It feels like, you know, with those getting all those mid-level pieces as far as the 10 to $20 million range versus the max guys uh, and then having no depth, there are there are pieces that can be traded. There are trade pieces on this roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that ends up being one of the big men, whether that ends up being – uh, one of the guards now, uh, and you got a lot of those as well. It's, you know, Jeremy Lamb. I mean, there's a lot of teams that would love to get Jeremy Lamb at $10 million uh, when he's eligible to be traded as well if, if Oladipo's back and looking healthy. So uh, maybe projecting forward here, 
where's the where's the peak for this team? Is it in two years, three years, and how high is that peak? Um, I th- I think the peak for them uh, is is two years, um, because I think Oladipo will be healthy by then, um, and then you still have of course your core Brogdon Turner. Um, I don't know if they'll hold on to Sabonis. Um, he may be he may be someone that 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 walks. I mean, he's I believe still on his uh, rookie deal, so um, he may be one that I don't know if they'll they'll pay him the money. Um, but I, I think that two years from now, I think is where you're looking at where they'll where they'll really start to hit their stride. Um, their peak, I, I think. I mean, I think they could make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, um, but I, you know, I don't know if they could win a championship. Like I said, if you don't, if you don't develop a second superstar or a second star, it's very difficult for you to win a championship. Um, and if Oladipo is the, is the guy he was before he got injured, you have one star, but you're going to have to have that second star. Could it be Miles Turner? Maybe. Could it be Brogdon? Maybe. If you develop that guy. Um, here in the next couple of years to be able to run with Oladipo, then you've got an opportunity to be able to build something special. But you got to have that second guy. You got to have that guy that's going to be able to feed off of when you're doubling Oladipo, be that guy to kick to, and you can get 20, 25, 30 points. Um, kind of like the Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum deal, where, you know, Lillard's the star, but if you kick the ball to McCollum, McCollum can go for 40. So you got to have that other guy. Um, to be able to to get to where you want to go. I got one more trade hypothetical for you. Uh, not something that we, we usually don't do these on the season previews, but I think this team is just super interesting for that reason with all these pieces. Uh, and, it, and maybe this is a little more slanted towards the Pelicans for what, that, what they need because Miles Turner would unlock so much for them. To have a guy to, to put next to Zion who can both defend the rim. Is it the and holidays? Shoot. Yeah. It's would you you know, would you consider some sort of you know, if you're looking down the line and saying, you know, we're not quite there, we don't have the team to really compete just yet, would you have considered something like uh, you know, pick eight, pick whatever, you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker, Jackson Hayes and and uh, Drew Holiday or you know, something like that, maybe for Turner and Lamb, or you know, some sort of—is there a deal there at all, or is this crazy talk? No, I think that's definitely. But I mean, if you put if you're putting Jackson Hayes on the board, I mean, I yeah, you have to consider it. I I think Jackson Hayes is one of the one of the better steals of the draft. I mean, that kid is long, athletic. I mean, he showed it in in the uh, in the summer league. Man, he can get it. So if you put a guy like that and can develop develop him as a defender. Um, then yeah, you you must have to consider it. You must have to consider it for sure. And I think you know if a superstar or a star player were to become available at some point, which seems to happen left and right every year at this point, uh, Rich kind of mentioned all these nice assets you have on good deals that are enough money that you package some of them, you can get to that max money. The two teams I think of are Indiana and now Denver. I, I think that mm-hmm. both of those teams have a lot of assets to be able to do that. But I think that you lost one of your best assets, and we need to talk about this. And we need your input 
on Corey Joseph coming over to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. I'm known for liking these dog of players. Corey Joseph is the definition, a great defensive player. He finished, I believe it's fifth in assist to turnover ratio, just a smart guy. What do you think Sacramento is getting in having Joseph as their backup one? Oh, I, I love Corey Joseph. I love Corey Joseph. Um, he, like you said, he's a dog defender. He's a tough, he's a tough minded individual. Um, I really like, I, I, he, him and Bogdanovich, I really am going to miss. Oh, and, and Collison. I, I, Collison was one of my favorites as well, but, um, Corey Joseph, you're getting a, a guy that's going to compete every single night at the highest level. Uh, he's a tough individual. He can score the basketball. He can play defense on their best guard. Um, and he's going to give you everything you got every night. Sacramento will fall in love with Corey Joseph. Absolutely. Uh, I got to ask you out of context here, apropos of nothing, what are your thoughts on Austin Rivers? <laughs> <laughs> um, my thoughts on Austin Rivers. Um, it's kind of an inside joke, but I got a final question. Is it's, that, um, oh, yes. Yes. Uh, I, Me and Brennan have very different opinions, so we just we want to know where you land. So you're, you want to know where I land? I think Austin Rivers is – he's a, a decent player, but, I, I mean, I, I don't know if he – it really brings anything to the table. I'm not a big Austin Rivers guy myself personally. That's correct. Excellent. Excellent. This is just because <laughs> this is just because our last guest was talking of Austin Rivers. He needed somebody else on his side here. Oh, Really? Yeah, he's he was a Rockets guy, and uh, I think uh, the term was thrown around that every team needs an Austin Rivers <laughs> to win a championship or something. I may uh, have said that. Yeah. What? Okay. No, yeah. no, no. But that was a joke. It was a joke. It was uh, I, I it was using was Rivers as the hustle guy. I think that he is the one on that team, and I I did say I think PJ Tucker is probably the better hustle guy on that team. But I just yeah. like I like dog of guys. I mean, if if you're bleeding all over your face and you're still gonna get back up on the floor with a straight face and just play hard, be the first guy on the floor, I I just you take my heart a little bit. I can't help myself. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I I respect that. I respect that. I, yeah, I but uh, PJ Tucker's too. a dog. I respect that too, but but I don't know. You can you can find guys that are hard players. They're a dime a dozen. You can find them in the G League, honestly. So I'm not. I just don't think that Rivers is. He's just he's a replaceable guy. I I know that the guy. You know, teams like the Rockets are desperate for that guy because they've got no money. They've got no assets. Like they're so top heavy. They're the opposite of Indiana. Indiana, I don't think that Rivers is getting any minutes on Indiana. So uh but but again, Ben Brown, very sane man, very sane take <laughs> on Austin Rivers. We're gonna plug your stuff. Everybody go follow Ben Brown at Ben underscore Brown ninety eight and uh talk to tell us about your podcast as well, where people can find it. Oh man, we're at uh forty eight minutes network dot com. Um we're on Apple Podcasts uh, Google Play. We're on all all your podcast uh, broadcast um, statures or wherever you are. We're we're on all those. Um, you can follow us. I know I've got it in my uh, bio. You can just click on it there um, and click on the website. We've got all kinds of content. We have at large bid who covers college basketball. We have forty eight minutes show with Tim Daniel and Sean Mackey, and then myself. And uh, Brandon, Kyle Brandon, we do the shot callers. Um, so 
with basketball starting to rev back up, uh, we'll, we usually have three shows a week. Um, each show will do one show that will drop three times a week. Um, we also have uh, Tim Daniel does a movie cinema podcast, which it's called Hoop Cinema. What, what movie we got this week? He got game. He got game. So that'll be dropping. Um, so we've got different podcasts. We'll have different articles. Um, Tim ca- uh, follows Xavier in NKU basketball. If you are interested in the Big East, Tim also follows the Big East as well. So uh, we have a lot of content, a lot of things going up. So uh, just follow us at 48minutesnetwork.com. Awesome. And we'll be pitching our uh, chicken podcast to, uh, <laughs> to you guys over there, see if we can get it in your network. But uh, yeah. thanks so much for coming on, man. Hey, Richard, I appreciate it. Brennan, thank you guys for having me. Love King's Pulse. And you know the Kings are my second team. You know that. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited about what's going out there on the West Coast. There we go. That's great to hear. It's an exciting team. Can't blame you. But, yeah, thanks, Tim. And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. You'll hear from us again in the next couple days. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.